I think right now in this season of my life, I'm choosing to be who I need to be for me. And that's giving me joy. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I don't know about you guys, but I am really happy that we are finally out of Mercury in retrograde. For me, it was a little bit brutal. It was a really intense, a little bit of insanity. Um, If you're following me on Instagram, you know that my computer completely crashed last week. And um, I learned a big lesson, which is always back up your data. And I was convinced I lost uh, like a bunch of future episodes and a bunch of other things that I needed, but a company um, near me was able to retrieve the data. So note to self, always back up your data. If there's one thing you can learn from me, um, definitely do that. Don't make the same mistake I did. So I would love to start off by talking a little bit about who is on the podcast this week. On the podcast is Emily Moberly, the CEO and founder of Traveling Stories. Traveling Stories is a nonprofit based out of San Diego, California, and their mission is to empower kids to outsmart poverty by providing the literacy and money management skills that they need to become productive members of society. And they really do this through their mobile story tent program where they actually have kids come and read with a volunteer and then for every book that they read they earn a book buck which they can then turn in for prizes and I loved learning more about traveling stories and hearing Emily's story and it's incredible the impact that this has really had on her life and I loved learning about the inspiration behind traveling stories and how she's really overcome moments of self-doubt and burn burnout to really stay in it. You know, often we talk about what it takes to start a business, what it takes to start a blog, a podcast, whatever it might be, but we often don't talk about what it actually takes to stay in it. And so I really loved hearing Emily share what this process has been like for her. We also talk about setting up good boundaries and incorporating more self-care into your life. And it was just It was just a fantastic conversation. I know you guys are going to love it. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to talk to you a little bit about today's sponsor, Studio. Studio wants to revolutionize the way we see headphones, not just as a tech device, but also as an accessory. And you guys know that taking a walk is a staple in my self-care routine. And I've been using Studio's headphones, the Regent in white on my walks, and I am loving them. From the sound quality and clarity, Bluetooth compatibility, and sleek design, these headphones are officially joining my daily walking routine and have made listening to my favorite podcasts and music easy and fun. I would love for you guys to check out Studio and their products. You can click on the link that's included in the show notes for today's episode. Plus, if you enter the discount code SEEKTHEJOY, all one word in caps, you will receive 15% off any purchase. And as always, you can learn more about today's episode and check out Studio's headphones by visiting the show notes section of our website, seekthejoypodcast.com slash show dash notes, and everything is right there. 
Last thing, before we dive into today's episode, you know I have to share the iTunes review of the week, and this week it comes from Vicki4894, and it says, wonderful family and community. I absolutely love this podcast and recommend it to anyone. It allows for a safe space to talk about our struggles, hopes, and dreams, and feel connected to others that are going through the same struggles and who can relate. Love, love, love this community that Sydney has created and can't wait for it to grow. Vicki, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this kind review and for sharing your thoughts about Seek the Joy podcast with all of us. If you feel so inspired to leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes, just send a screenshot of your review to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com and I will send you my brand new guide for infusing more joy into your life as well as a couple of limited edition Seek the Joy podcast stickers. All right, guys, I know that intro was a little bit long, but so much good stuff to share this week. And this episode is just so, so good. I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Emily. My name is Emily Moberly, and I'm the founder and CEO over at Traveling Stories. Um, Traveling Stories is a nonprofit that's based in San Diego, and uh, our entire mission is about helping kids fall in love with reading by the fourth grade. And we believe that that's an incredible tool to empower kids to break the cycle of poverty. Um, so I've been doing that for almost eight years. We're turning eight in May, and uh, before that, I just I don't know, a book nerd who loved reading myself and um, just saw how much that books and reading and knowledge could transform my life and, you know, just give me an opportunity to kind of take a break from the day to day. Yeah, the escapism part of reading, I think, is so fantastic. And I think as kids, I don't know, at least for myself, I never thought about how maybe other children in other parts of the world may not have access, you know, to the same books or libraries or bookstores, you know, that I really grew up in. So you start to really open up your eyes and understand, you know, that this isn't something that everybody has. Was there a moment in time for you where like <laughs> that clicked also? And what, yeah. what really um, inspired the start of Traveling Stories? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked because um, I felt the same way, you know, growing up, I had a ton of books. Uh, I didn't have a lot of money growing up, but I had a lot of books and my parents both read um, so for me, I had like bedtime stories every night yeah. and I really took that for granted and um, just thought that that was how everyone experienced uh, reading and, and life. And uh, it, for me, it came kind of late when I realized that, that that was special. It didn't happen for me until after college. After I graduated, I took a job teaching in Honduras and I didn't find out till day one of my teaching job what grade I was teaching or what subjects. Um, but I ended up getting juniors and seniors in high school, and I was teaching English and sociology. And I mean, it was an amazing experience, like very challenging. But I remember one day, um, just very, very distinctly, uh, I had <laughs> I had made my students write an essay. They thought I was evil. Um, <laughs> and so as they were writing their essay, it was a timed writing assignment. And I was sitting at my desk reading To Kill a Mockingbird, just one of the books that I had brought with me. Um, one of my favorite books, you know, I try to read it about every year. And one of my students finished her essay early. And so she brought it to the desk, turned it in and noticed I was reading. And um, 
started making fun of me. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, who the heck is this 14 year old making fun of me? And she was like, miss, you could be doing anything. You could be texting. You could be, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, obviously you've never read this book. And I yeah. start, started to tell her about Atticus and Jim and Scout. And, you know, for me, I felt like I was just telling her about my best friends. <laughs> um, and before I knew it, the whole class was listening and um, just really intrigued. And they thought the story sounded amazing. And, and so when I finished telling them about it, I just asked them, I was like, hey, this could be like kind of a cool conversation. Like, why don't you guys share with me some of your favorite stories or your favorite books? And I had about 87 students spread out into different classes and only like one or two of them could tell me about a favorite book. Um, and the rest, like sincerely confessed, they're like, we just haven't really read anything for fun. Like all we ever read are textbooks. Like we've never been tucked in with a bedtime story. Like we don't have a library. We don't have yeah. bookstores. We don't have... Um, access to Dr. Seuss or chapter, you know, like any of this stuff. And that was um, just very, very, very alarming for me because I can't imagine my life or my childhood without books. And, and these students who I'd grown to really care about, you know, they had grown 14, 15, 16 years without that at all. Um, so I came home to San Diego for Christmas and I just couldn't stop thinking about them. So I filled one of my suitcases with books from a used bookstore. I just you know, picked up everything I thought they might like. Um, and I brought them back to my students and introduced these books at, as Miss Moberly's library. <laughs> and uh, at first, you know, I made them read every day. It was almost like, you know, elementary school or something. And we only had two rules. The kids, uh, the, the rules were that they couldn't fall asleep during reading time and they weren't allowed to read a book that they didn't enjoy. Um, and they thought that was kind of funny. And I was like, no, this is like all about you finding books you like. So if you don't like it, you know, give it a couple pages, but if you don't like it, then put it down and find another one. I purposely brought like tons of books. And so, you know, within a couple of weeks, I, I got to literally watch my students, um, fall in love with reading for the first time. And I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it was really amazing. Like it literally changed their life. It changed their attitudes about learning, about reading, about their future. It made them, you know, just have a bigger idea of what they might want to do when they grow up. Um, it made some of them change their mind about going to college or trade school. Um, and fast forward a couple of years, like I still keep in touch with some of them and some of them are having kids now and they're like, Hey, we're, we're looking for kids books because we want to read, um, mm -hmm. you know, to our baby, just like your mom read to you. And so, you know, it just seemed like such a, I don't know, such an impactful thing. And it was so simple. All I did was share my love for reading with these kids yeah. and get books and make sure that they had access to them. And I sat there and cheerleaded, you know, and helped them find a book that they really connected with and gave them an opportunity to have like a, an enjoyable, relaxing reading environment. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess, you know, it's not like I've, I've always wanted to start a nonprofit. Like that definitely wasn't my life plan, but I don't know, my students in Honduras, like it, just seeing how much it changed their life, they really inspired me to, to think, you know, how could I do this on a bigger scale and how can I do this for more kids? And, you know, so one thing led to another. And in 2010, I started the nonprofit. And so our initial focus was international. We built libraries. We would partner with schools and orphanages in other countries and communities where kids had never had access to books. And so we would partner and um, help open these little libraries. And that's really cool, you know, like being in yeah. um, El Salvador and having kids pick up these books out of boxes and knowing that they've only seen two or three books in their whole life. And now they have, you know, hundreds and thousands or maybe even thousands to pick from. 
Um, and I remember actually, like when we were setting up the library, we actually had, I feel bad saying this, we actually had to kick the kids out so that we could finish Aww. like setting it up. But yeah. they were so excited that they just didn't want to leave. What a confirmation um, though, like that you were yeah. doing the right thing in that moment, right? Just to see the excitement um, on their faces. That is so cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, you know, that was super, super, just like you said, confirming um, as we kept going with it and asking more people for books and for money and support. And then people started saying, you know, it's so cool that you care about these other countries, but what about, um, you know, what about kids here in the U.S.? And I was like, I, I don't know, don't kids here have books? Like, that's, I was just very naive and privileged. And uh, so I started looking into the research and I was really shocked to find that here in my own country, in my own city, you know, kids are really struggling to read by the fourth grade. It's something like two out of three kids, you know, no matter their economic background, two out of three kids are struggling to read proficiently by fourth grade. And then if you throw in like low income, it jumps to like 82% of kids, like eight out of 10 kids. That's wow. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and there's just so many studies that show that your ability to read is just tied to basically everything else. You know, your ability to have a job where you're getting paid well, your health, your um, mental health, your emotional health, your ability to engage with others, your social skills, like, reading really, 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 really has significant ties to all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so if kids are missing out on that, if kids aren't reading, if they're not reading for fun, if they're not reading at all, if they can't read, um, it really stunts their ability for the rest of their life. And I just feel like that's not fair. You know, no kids should know it's not their fault. They, and it's not that hard. Like, like I think what Honduras taught me is it's not rocket science. Getting somebody to read and getting them excited about it is mm -hmm. not rocket science. Um, and yet when you have that happen, it just unlocks so many doors and it, it empowers somebody so much to really, 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 really make the rest of their life so much better. Yeah. And you're making it available to them too, right? Yeah. In a way that yes. wasn't available to them before. And it has to be a total game changer. And I love yeah. just the trajectory that you've been on and how, you know, this experience in Honduras really set the stage for traveling stories. Yeah. And um, I, I just love how you came home and everything that uh -huh. you've done. So with traveling stories, how does it work? Because I know there's yeah. like a real money management component to it also. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually glad you asked that because even though we started with like an international model and we focused on libraries, we've kind of shifted our focus um, based on research. And so now like our primary focus is here on the U.S., and our program model is is something that we call the story tent. All it really is is a, a 10 foot by 10 foot tent. If anyone listening has ever been to a farmer's market, mm -hmm. um, it looks just like one of those tents. And so we literally set up this tent um, at farmer's markets, at malls, at non-academic hotspots where families are hanging out. Um, and we have carpets on the ground. We have bins full of books. We have prizes. We have volunteers. And so the way it works is kids come, you know, voluntarily to the program. They check in. Um, they pick out a book that looks cool to them, that looks interesting to them. There's no judgment. They literally can read, like, anything that they want. Granted, we make sure, you know, there's nothing inappropriate. <laughs> um, and then, you know, our volunteers are there, and they are trained to really engage with kids. And so uh, the kids pick out the books they like. They read one-on-one -on -one with a volunteer. And for every book that they read, the kids earn a book buck, which is just kind of like, you know, Monopoly money. Um, and we encourage kids to negotiate for more if the book's challenging. And so that kind of encourages a little more engagement as well. Mm. Um, and then with their money, the kids can buy prizes. And we 
uh, we get all kinds of cool stuff. We have um, really inexpensive items like mechanical pencils for one book buck, all the way up to like a skateboard for 300, um, basketballs for like 25 or 50. We've got, um, sometimes we have gift cards, sometimes we do field trips, sometimes we do like movie tickets or, you know, a pizza night for the whole family. Um, and so, you know, through it all, like, first of all, it helps because it's motivating kids, you know, mm-hmm. and, and our target are really reluctant readers. So kids who don't like reading, who don't think they know how, who just don't really see the value. Um, so a lot of times we kind of trick kids into reading with the money and the prizes. But then over time, we find that, you know, once they become, once they find a book that they like or find a few books they like, then they start to read a little bit more for pleasure and the prizes become a secondary motivator. Right now we have three programs a week in San Diego. We have three satellite programs outside and we're working with about 3,000 kids a year. And we're able to show how that program is is helping them fall in love with reading and and how it's helping in other parts of their life as well. Um, But one of the things that I just really love about our program, I mean, it sounds really simple, right? It's just like Mm -hmm. a tent and books and fake money. But I think one of the things that makes it so special, two things that make it so special. One, it's not in an academic setting, you know, so it's not a library. It's not a school. And everyone's always like, wait, what? Why don't you do it at school? And I have nothing against doing programs at school. It's just that there's already programs at school. And so we wanted to fill, you know, a need that wasn't being met yet. And it's also really cool, like, because we're set up at a place where you least expect to find, you know, learning, maybe. um, I find that it really kind of transforms just kind of, it just kind of like, changes the way kids look at reading, you know, because if they're going to tutoring, it's like, oh, crap, like, I'm not very good at reading, I have to get help, or this is something I have to do. But because we're at this fun setting, that's just kind of totally voluntary, kids are choosing to be there. And it just, you know, it just changes the whole, the whole feel. I think the other big thing is just kind of going off on that, the voluntary part. And uh, there's just, there's also, we've been reading a lot of studies recently about, you know, the difference between compulsive reading, where you're kind of told what to read and how to read and when to read, you know, like, that's kind of what school is like. And there's a lot of value to that. But then there's new research that's showing voluntary reading and reading for um, just like reading, like self-directed reading and how there's a lot of benefit to that as well. Um, And so I'm really proud of our program model because it makes it easy for kids, even if they're like three years old, to really direct themselves and and pick out books that they like and read how they want to read and read when they want to read. And and, um, because kids really like it, they're coming back week after week after week. So I don't know, that's kind of what we're doing now. We've got 350 volunteers and we're really, really working hard to expand uh, to new locations and new malls and shopping centers and farmers markets so that we can help more kids. I love this. I think you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like over time you're really helping them or helping these kids build their self-confidence around reading yes. and then also with themselves. I think um, yeah. if you feel like you can't read and everyone else around you is, you know, I think it starts yes. to wear on your self-confidence and your self-esteem and you start to feel like, well, I'll never be able to do this. And mm-hmm. so you're really changing that sort of, that narrative for them through your program. Absolutely. Um, we have a little boy named Jamal who's like so, such a sweetheart. And he comes to the story tent almost every Saturday in his mm. neighborhood. And um, so in that, in some of our neighborhoods, it's kind of a an underserved community. So a lot of the families might be living, might be considered low income. You know, they might be receiving assistance. Um, and so this particular little boy uh, reads a ton. He's becoming really good at reading. And I noticed that he had a giant stack of book books in his hand. Like I'm talking hundreds. Mm-hmm. And, 
So I was like, Jamal, what's going on? Like, this is awesome. You're saving so much. I'm like so proud. And, you know, it's kind of unusual because a lot of times the kids spend their money really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, what are you saving up for? And, you know, do we have cool enough prizes? Like, what kind of prizes would you like? Do you have any special requests? And Jamal looked down at his shoe and I noticed that there was a piece of tape covering um, a hole over his toe. And he looked back up at me and he was like, it'd be really cool if I could use my book bucks to buy some new shoes. And I was just like, oh, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, like, why is this eight year old worried about whatever? You know, like he wants he's been saving all this money. He's not going to buy like a scooter. He wants to buy shoes. Like, And I was really tempted to just run down to Payless and like buy some shoes for him. But then I would be the hero, you know, and I would be the person who fixed it. Um, so instead we got a, a gift card to a shoe store. We put it in the prize bin the next week. Jamal used his money and bought it. Um, he went, you know, shopping, picked out the shoes he wanted. I think they had like lights on them or something. And, uh, he came back the next week, he was wearing them. And I swear, like he actually had kind of a different strut, you know, like he was yeah. definitely walking with more swag and like was more confident. And his mom said that he had just been running around everywhere and, like just super excited to wear them to school and to show all his friends. And I think for me, that was like a really eye-opening moment because I realized what you just said, you know, it's not just literacy, but it's confidence and it's showing kids that they have the ability to do something and the ability to follow through and, and giving them that firsthand experience of, you know, what it feels like to work hard and to earn and to take care of yourself and to not, you know, rely on handouts and not be a charity case. Like, Right. It doesn't, you know, it just, this kid was able to, to take care of himself and, and it showed, you know, it showed that, I don't know, he was just so proud. So for me, that was, that was a huge moment. And sometimes, you know, on hard days, I think back to that story and, and other stories like it, just to be like, nope, this is good. We got to keep going. We got to keep helping. Because you can see the impact in real time, which I think is what is so powerful and empowering about the work that you're doing is that you can really see the way these kids change the way they think about themselves, you know, really in this moment. So kind of having this perspective of seeing it in real time and seeing where you've started out and ended up now in eight years, which is incredible. What do you feel like you've learned the most about yourself kind of going through this? That's an interesting question. I feel like, oh man, it's been, you know, it's been so interesting. The first five years I was working full time doing something else um, because it, you know, traveling stories wasn't big enough to pay Mm -hmm. me yet. And so like, that was a whole different phase, you know, of just being exhausted all the time, working 40, 50 hours, and then spending nights and weekends building traveling stories. And then, then like the next phase though, was, you know, getting hired on and then starting to build my team. So, you know, like eight years ago, it was me, my mom, like one or two programs and like 50 kids. Now we have four paid staff, 350 volunteers. We've got 14 programs worldwide where we're, you know, thousands of kids. And it's just, it's been interesting, you know, to see how the responsibilities change um, and how the the demands change. Um, so to be completely honest, I feel like one of the things I've learned or I've struggled with is, you know, it's one thing to come up with an idea and to start a company or to start a nonprofit. Um, you know, at the beginning, I feel like it was super exciting and you're trying all these new things and and. I don't know, last year, to be completely honest, was just a real struggle. And I feel like what I started kind of facing is it's one thing to start an idea, but how do you sustain it? And how do you sustain a passion, especially when your work and your passion are, are lined up, you know, and 
And for me, like I, I noticed last year that a lot of people started referring to me as just like, oh, you're that book lady, you're the traveling stories lady. And I had put so much of my time and energy into building traveling stories that that had become a hundred percent of like who I was. And, and I started realizing like I was losing sight of the fact that I, I'm not just traveling stories, you know, like I'm, I have another identity and that's right. a valuable identity as well. And, and that my identity doesn't come through work. And so when I had a, because what was happening is like, I was working really, really hard and burning myself out and not, you know, setting these huge goals for myself and then not reaching them and feeling like a failure. And because so much of my life revolved around traveling stories, mm-hmm. I just really felt like I was a failure as a person because there wasn't a distinction kind of, you know, between work and, and my personal life <laughs> or between myself and work. Right. It was your full identity at that point. Yeah, it was. And that's not good. That's not healthy. Like, even if it's for a good cause, it's not healthy, right? right. Like, I'm right. not the cause. So... Um, so last year was like such a very interesting experience because it really, really pushed me. And what I ultimately realized was, you know, that's, this is not my identity for one. I'm much more than just what I created. Um, I'm much more than just this idea. And second of all, by trying to do everything for traveling stories, I was actually holding traveling stories back. So, you know, for so many years I had to wear all the hats, but traveling stories had grown to a point where that was impossible for me to to wear all the hats, you know, and still continue to grow. And I don't, you know, I didn't want to hurt traveling stories. So it was a really good wake up call because I didn't want to be the reason that my organization couldn't grow farther, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Um, I didn't want to be the thing that was holding it back. And so what I kind of learned was, you know, I, I knew cognitively that I needed to delegate, but last year just feeling super overwhelmed and nearly burning out really showed me, hey, like you're not doing anyone favors by trying to do it all yourself. Um, So I just learned, you know, I need to let go and I need to find people that I can trust um, and that the only way to grow beyond myself is to to include those other people um, and to empower them and to free their own ideas. You know, Um, and so I'm really fortunate that once I figured that out, um, that my board of directors were supportive and together we worked to find, you know, um, some team members who could join join our team and and kind of help in areas um, that I wasn't very strong at. I think that the other thing that that was really interesting, you know, I was so used to doing everything and it sounds kind of lame, but like growing up, I was an overachiever. So I was just used to being good at a lot of stuff and, and good at running a lot of parts of the traveling stories. And last year I just really came to terms or was forced to come to terms with some of my weaknesses and, and the ways that those weaknesses were holding us back. And so I think another thing I've been learning a lot lately is just to really take time to pay attention to what your strengths are and to develop, you know, spend as much time developing those and find other people who are good at the stuff that you're not good at instead of trying to be good at everything, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, it's been very freeing and I feel so much better about everything. Um, and traveling stories is growing. Like it's crazy. We have like two or three programs starting in the, in the next two months and that wouldn't be possible if, wow. if we hadn't made that shift, you know, and if, if I hadn't, kind of just let go a little bit. You know, it's interesting. I think um, there's almost this perfectionist quality in that where, especially when you start out and you're wearing every hat and I can totally relate to that. You know, you're doing everything and you want to make sure it's perfect or it looks great or it meets, you know, your 
your internal standard, right? And then it's like that process of learning to let go and learning that it's okay for someone to help you. Or if there's somebody who's an expert in that, you know, for them to come on board. Um, So it sounds like you really spent all of last year really learning uh, how to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what? One thing that really helped me, like I came to a point where I was just so exhausted. Like I literally... I I just like couldn't move. I couldn't go back to work. I couldn't do anything. And what I eventually did was, and it sounds kind of tedious, but I made a list of everything that I spent time doing, like just this long list of, you know, everything from like emails to grant writing, to filing, to like fixing the printer to, you know, whatever. And then I like circled everything that I just really don't like doing. And I highlighted everything that I love doing. And I was shocked to find like most of my list was stuff I didn't like, you know? Mm, Yeah. And so I decided right then I was like, this is not going to work for me. Like I created this job. Why am I doing it? Why am I allowing myself to do a role that like I suck at and that I don't really like? So I started then like focusing on the the things I highlighted, the things I love doing and the things I thought I was good at. And I started rebuilding my role in traveling stories around that and making sure that I spent more time doing those things. And then I looked for team members who were really good at those other things that I hate doing. And they're excited. You know, they're like, yeah, I love doing this, this, and this. I'm like, fantastic, because I hate it. Like, that's just, it just drives me insane. And I get to spend more time doing the things that I really love. And I feel like, you know, it sounds super common sense, but it took me a while to figure it out. So, but I just share it in case anyone else, you know, might be able to benefit from it. Because I don't don't know if there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening, but I feel like we put so much emphasis into starting a venture and then inevitably if we're successful, you know, we're going to have growing pains and, and what we create is going to change over time. And I think it's important to identify that we need to allow our role within our business to change over time too. And it's okay to do things that we like, you know, we don't like, I think I kind of felt like I had to do, I had to do a lot of stuff I didn't like because that that was like the important stuff or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's like, Oh, this was just part of it. And, I still have to do stuff I don't, but I make sure that at least half of what I'm doing is stuff that I like really love. I think that tip too about making that list is a really is really valuable, I think, to really sit down and, and understand and write out everything that you're actually doing, you know, every yeah. day. It's a really great way yeah. to take stock. So in addition to sort of making yeah. that list last year, were there any other like practices or resources or things that you relied on to really well, hmm. A, help yourself come back from this burnout or prevent yourself from totally burning out. And then I guess also, yeah. you know, you touched on this at the beginning um, of this part of our conversation about we put so much emphasis on starting, but not so much on staying in it. So were there yeah. other practices or things that you did that really helped you to stay in it? Because I think that's a really valuable thing that not too many people, yeah. just like you said, talk about. I know. I was looking for books. I'm like, I find, I found so many books about how to start or how to figure out your dream job or how to, you know, and I was like, but how do I sustain it? So, um, you know, maybe I'll write one someday, but I do feel like, so one of the things I did, I took a vacation. So highly recommend that. (laughs) And I told my team, I was like, don't call me and don't, I don't care if like the building burns down, like I can deal with it when I come back. Um, (laughs) I have my permanent away message on, talk to you later. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, honestly, like, and so really, really unplugging. And yeah. for me, um, I, I went to Paris, which is like one of my favorite places uh. in the whole world. And I know that sounds bougie, but what I, my dad was like, you, you're feeling burned out. So you're going to go to Paris. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, wow, lucky, you know, it must be nice. <laughs> but my whole purpose was, you know, I, I wanted to get in touch with the, the identity 
with myself outside of traveling stories. And I wanted to be inspired by something outside of work. And I wanted, so like I took time and I unplugged from work and then I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I looked at art, I read fiction. I read, you know, I just like spent time like really feeding my soul. Um, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner, but I just started setting more boundaries. So, um, you know, I used to be reachable pretty much seven days a week. Uh, and I work with a lot of volunteers and a lot of interns. And so sometimes their availability are, is like the night, you know, nighttime and weekends. Yeah. And so I wanted, I wanted to be there for them and I wanted to appreciate their efforts. But, you know, after all of this was happening, I just decided, you know what? No, like Sundays I'm off the grid nighttime I'm off the grid like if it can't get done you know within these hours then it's mm-hmm. just not meant to be and granted I would say at the beginning that's probably not feasible like right you know at the beginning I really did have to hustle all the time but I do think that it's important you know to create some boundaries and um and maybe even I communicated it with my team too I said you know like if I don't respond it's not because I hate you I'm just building like more of a work-life balance than you know and actually they kind of responded they were like you know it's cool that you're sharing this because it sets a good tone and a good example for us. Like we should be figuring that out too. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want you to burn out. You know, like let's all figure out like what our sustainability pattern is and, you know, just unplugging, taking a vacation, really investing in other parts of my life that weren't related to work, um, setting more boundaries, um, not feeling guilty for unplugging. Uh, And it's kind of weird and annoying, but, you know, people will hear about what my job is and they're like, wow, that's awesome. It must just be like, floating on a cloud, you know, seven days a week, because you get to, you know, all you get to do is like inspire kids to read. And like, on one hand, yeah, it's awesome, you know, and most of the time, it is really cool and inspiring. But then sometimes it sucks. And it's hard. And it's still work. So I used to feel guilty about, you know, not doing work stuff or not being available. And I don't feel guilty anymore. (laughs) You know, you just can't be on all the time. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't know your business, like you're not doing your business any favors by giving it your attention 24 seven. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And then I read a book. I highly recommend it. It's called quiet. And it's a little bit about your personality and like introverts and extroverts and kind of, you know, just how that, that affects like your ability to work and how you might need rest here. And I don't know. It just was really um, helpful for me to learn more about my own personality and why I was feeling burned out and why one of the things it talks about is if you're an introvert, you know, you might need more time to recharge, but if you're talking about a passion project, then you can kind of become an extrovert. And yeah. so you don't realize, you know, how worn out you're getting because you just love talking about what you're talking about. And you love socializing and mm-hmm. because it's something you really care about. But then at the end of it, you're going to be just as exhausted. But I was like, oh, my gosh, that's totally me. Like, because I love being out and about and I love sharing about traveling stories. But why do I feel, you know, like if I'm at an event all night, I just like I need like a day in bed to recharge. And I'm like, this can't yeah. be like, why? Why is this happening? Um, so reading that book really helped me understand more about myself. And made me feel less guilty and made me feel more understood and made me realize that I needed to kind of change some of my patterns and build in some of that, you know, those boundaries. I mean, it all comes back to I want traveling stories to have the best of me and I want to help it as much as I can, you know, just learning to take care of myself better so I could do a better job. Really, That that self-care component is so crucial, you know, and I think it's interesting because especially when you're, you know, just starting something or you're really in the middle of it, you know, you think that it means it demands all of your attention, whether that means you're on email all day, on call all day, juggling, you know, 20 different hats, whatever that might look like. You think, you know, that's what that means, that it really does demand all of you, but 
in order for you to really do the best Mm -hmm. job in that moment, you have to take better care of yourself. So now do you still implement those same practices? Oh my gosh. For self-care? Yes. I would die if I didn't. I mean, that was only a few months ago, right? So I'm still kind of coming out of it. Um, I don't feel a hundred percent yet, but I'm getting there. So yeah, I mean, and you know what else I've started doing? So that vacation was incredible. And so what I decided is at least every quarter, I need to take some time away. It may not be a whole week. You know, it might just be like a couple of days. So I recently booked um, a trip in May where I'm going to be gone for a week and I'm going to be off the grid. And mm. you know what else though is kind of cool about that is when I take a step back, it allows my team to really step up, you know, yeah. and, and it, it kind of allows us to test and see where our systems are weak and where, you know, where we're relying on me too much. So it's good for me to take that break, but it's also good for my team and for our systems because, you know, it allows us to build better ones. Yeah, that balance. Yeah. You know, it's important to really have it. In setting these good boundaries for yourself, you know, along the way and in just creating traveling stories to begin with, do you feel like you've stepped more into your voice or grown your voice Hmm. um, more in doing so? Because I do think it takes like a real self-assurance in some ways to be able to set those kind of boundaries and to feel confident in doing that. Hmm. So I'd be curious to know, you know, do you feel like you own your voice more or that you've grown (laughs) it more through, through just this eight year journey that you've been on? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I still have a ways to go, you know, like I'm still definitely insecure at times and you know unsure and I definitely have to like give myself pep talks and things like that Mm -hmm. and and face my doubts and one of my favorite parts about my role at Traveling Stories and just what this eight years has been more than any other job Traveling Stories has really allowed me to use all of my skills and to be to feel like I'm in over my head to the point where I feel like I want to learn and get better so you know like and just I've had other jobs where they used, you know, some of my skills, but not all of them. And Traveling Stories needs all my skills and even more. And so being in that position, I think, has really stretched me and given me a chance to like a safe environment to explore what my strengths are and to fail and to try. And I don't know. I mean, like, I'm fortunate that there's some people that supported me even early on so that even when I did fail or you know, if I felt foolish, they would encourage me and be that positive voice. Seeing the impact of the organization, and I think one of the most powerful things for me personally is to see how our team has grown, you know, like from me and my mom. My mom's kind of obligated, right? Because she loves me. <laughs> but now there's people who are involved who don't know me and they don't love, you know, they don't have to love me. And, you know, like we have people who've written us into their will. We've had people donate lots of money. We have people who give lots of time. And, And it's not because of me, it's because they believe in what we're doing and they see the impact. And for me, that's like the biggest thing. And I I think probably for me, the most empowering thing that makes me want to stand up and talk about what we're doing and to do interviews and to, and to really like, you know, it's not about me. And that's the part that I think allows me to have a voice about it because my voice is reflecting this group and it's reflecting this overall idea. It's not a it's not a voice that's about me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. And it, that's interesting, you know, what you were just talking about too, how even at the beginning in moments where you might have fallen or failed or things don't go the right way, you had people in your life who were encouraging yeah. you and were that positive voice to help you keep going. And it's interesting. I think we all really obviously need that. And then I sort of found it's become really important for me 
to learn how to become that encouraging and positive mm. voice for myself too. So to, yeah. to like give myself that pep talk that you were talking about too, you know, to truly become the person that I can lean on. Have you been able yeah. to do that for yourself too a lot more along the way? Um, yeah. You know, I think so. I think for me, it's more, it always goes back to the impact. I'm really lucky that there are literally at least three story tents a week that I can go visit and see firsthand how all of this work is helping kids and their families. And I don't know, like the whole reason I do this is to have impact. If we're not having impact, then like through yeah. it, you know, let's shut down. So the, the thing that kind of motivates me the most and gives me the most confidence is visiting the program and just seeing again firsthand the magic that's happening. I believe in that, you know, so I, I, I see the impact. I believe the impact and that, motivates me to get over any hurdles or insecurities. If if I didn't believe in it, it would be a lot harder. <laughs> or if I couldn't see the impact, it yeah. would be a lot harder. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm really lucky because the families that we serve, they're very encouraging. Um, and so, you know, they'll frequently like stop me and say, you know, thank you. Or I've known some of them for seven, eight years now. And, you know, and they care about me, not just as a traveling stories person, but as a human. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've gotten so much out of I, we, we talk about the impact that we have on kids, but I'm, I'm just thinking back to all the impact I've had personally and how they've helped me grow and um, and encourage me. I know one time, like at a story tent, we had a, a parent, <laughs> this little kid was stealing toys. And so I had to kind of reprimand her. And then the mom got mad at me <laughs> and like yelled at me. And then the kid's crying. It was just a dramatic thing. And a couple other parents came up to me afterwards and they were like, don't worry about her. Like, we see you every week. We know what you're here for. We know that you care about the kids. We know that you're not, you know, trying to cheat some kid out of a toy. Like, yeah. we, you know, we we're here. If you need anything, we have your back. And I just I mean, to be part of that. I don't know. I'm digressing. But that, that really, that's it. You know, and, and I guess for me, I just personally have to be able to connect with the mission and the impact. Um, and if I wasn't able to do that, I definitely would have given up a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. It sounds like that connection and reminding yourself of who you are and why you started yep. and why you're doing yep. what you're doing has really helped you bounce back every time Absolutely. and then to really cultivate this community around you. Yep. I'd love to yeah. you know, talk a little bit about that role of community and the way also that yeah. families are involved you know, in the work that you're doing. What role has community had in your life? How has it impacted you? And hmm. when you think of community you know what comes to mind well that's a that's an interesting question I feel like I feel like my idea of community like as an individual has been a little weird I've always been kind of a introverted quiet kid I was homeschooled so I didn't have a ton of friends so like for me my first community was probably the books that I read mm -hmm. um which is you know kind of a weird now that I think about it that's kind of weird like my community are these fictional characters that are living in my head and on pages in a book but I think because of that my community was able to be you know international and multi you know decades yeah, and like yeah. you know this weird very kind of broad sense which I think opened up my eyes later. And uh, one thing that I got to do in college is study abroad in Uganda, where I studied community development. So that was another very impactful um, experience for me related to community, where I got to kind of visit these different NGOs across Uganda and experience how they were working with locals to to do good and mm -hmm. to empower people. And, and so I saw two things two different ways of doing it. I saw these groups that would come to Uganda and tell everyone what they needed to do. And then they would kind of like, just say like, hey, we're here to save you and you need to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you have to adopt our way of doing this. 
And then the other side, the other group of people were kind of like, we don't, we're not here to save you. Like, who are we to save you? Like, we're here to learn from you and we're here to share what we know. We want to learn about your customs and we want to see how our knowledge can fit in so that we can create like a sustainable, better solution, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so seeing both of those examples firsthand uh, really, really impacted me and, and played a big role in how I designed traveling stories. Um, and so at traveling stories, our mentality is, you know, that second one where, you know, we're not here to save anybody. Like, who are we? Like, you know, we might know a few things that there's a lot of stuff we don't know. Um, and so in our international programs and in our local programs, we're working with a ton of different cultures and languages and religions. And that's, created like a really beautiful community for us where it's not always easy and sometimes there's funny misunderstandings but I think it's shown me that no matter you know there's certain things that can really can really unify people and one of those things I think is just caring for children and wanting children to to Mm -hmm. have every opportunity they can so you know whether it's our international programs or our story tents here we're working with parents from the Middle East from Asia from Central America, from Africa, you know, and these parents speak different languages. Some of their religions don't get along, but they all want their kids to learn. They all want their kids to read. They all want their kids to have the best. And so we find this beautiful sense of community at our programs where people put their differences aside because the goal is is more important to us and mm-hmm. children are more important to us. Yeah. And I think, you know, because we kind of set that tone of, hey, we're here to learn from you and we're here to help in whatever way we can as partners, that that tone just kind of transcends to everyone. Um, and so there's this real beautiful sense of humility where uh, we try to put our egos aside and we try to do what's best for the community. And I think, you know, for me, I see that community is is kind of, you know, thinking of us as opposed to me and putting uh, like egos aside and and just recognizing that we all have something to contribute. I don't know. It's just really beautiful. You know, you see like, oh, there's this adorable little girl named Rukia who's originally from Africa and she's like four years old now and um, just precious. And and one of our volunteers had a baby recently and she brought her little baby and um, just like this little white baby and Rukia just fell in love with her and like went right toward the baby and started Aww. picking her up and like picking out books to read to her. And, um, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I love it. I love, love, love that at our program, we're all about reading and having fun. And it doesn't matter, you know, what color you are, what religion you are, what language you speak. We're all different. You know, we all, I think that's the one thing that we have in common is like, we all, we don't fit in, but here at our programs, we do because we all don't fit in other places, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's also about that commonality that you were talking about with caring for children and wanting to make sure that they can succeed and have access to books and materials to guarantee, you know, that success. And then also, you know, wanting to really foster that love of reading independent from like a school environment. Um, So I love how those commonalities really transcend every community, you know, that you've really been part of. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about joy in your life. What does joy look like in your life now? And, you know, incorporating that balance, what are some things that you do to bring yourself joy? That's a great question. For me right now, joy, joy looks like sleeping through the night, not waking up at 3am freaked out about work. (laughs) Um, joy looks like, you know, not feeling anxious. Joy feels like, you know, just knowing without a doubt that what I'm doing is doing is, is good, is having a good impact. And joy also, I don't know, is like letting go. It's relaxing. You know, it's saying, I'm not going to handle this because I'm going to trust that my team member is going to handle it. 
and then the team member handles it it's like wow yay that's awesome like you know it worked out and now they're more empowered and i'm able to focus on other things it's a constant choice i think for me like i have to choose joy it doesn't happen i have to choose it i have to look for it you know it'd be easy to just be upset that i can't sleep through the night you know three nights out of the week (laughs) instead of being grateful for the four nights that i do and yeah shifting your perspective that way absolutely and i think too you know, I have been building more time to rest and recharge. And I think like accepting that and not feeling like I'm lame, you know, like, so mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day, I didn't go out. Like I stayed home and watched a movie with my cat <laughs> and I was so like joyful. Like that was amazing, you know, and just not being, just accepting that and saying, you know, Hey, maybe all my other friends are going out and partying and that's cool for them. But like, for me, this is what joy looks like. And I'm choosing that. (laughs) Yeah. Staying true to yourself in those moments too, you know? I think right now in this season of my life, I'm choosing to be who I need to be for me. Mm -hmm. And that's giving me joy. Choosing to be who you want to be for yourself. Yeah. That's such a common theme really throughout every, almost pretty much every conversation (laughs) I've had. Uh, So it's so, it's wonderful to keep hearing that. I think it's a really wonderful confirmation for people. So, okay. So favorite book. Oh man. Um, gosh, that's really hard. It's like picking, I don't have kids, but I feel like it'd be like picking (laughs) my favorite kid. Um, I, it, I mean, it depends. Like as a kid, I love the Clifford, the big red dog. I mean, the character's name is Emily Elizabeth, just like me. I love Nancy Drew. She's literally my best friend. Um, I love Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I don't know. Those are some, those are some of my favorites, but I always, like, I love, love, love reading. I've been building more time into my schedule to read for fun. Um, and I love young adult like fantasy fiction, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I feel like I'm kind of embarrassed to admit, but, um, it's so entertaining. I love it. I love how it's so, you know, there's a huge variety and you can come yes. back to the ones that you've loved, you know, over time too yes. and, and read them Absolutely. again. Do you have a favorite quote? Oh, that's a good question. I have a few that I go back to, but um, there's one, I think it's Victor Hugo, to learn to read is to light a fire. Mm-hmm. I'm probably butchering it, but I love that. And I feel like that inspired me a lot when I first started traveling stories because, yeah. you know, it's totally what happens, like to help a kid fall in love with reading, to help them learn to read your tra- you are lighting a fire and who knows where that's going to go. It feels like the mission behind traveling stories. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Fits perfectly. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the question um, that I ask everybody who comes on mm. Seek the Joy podcast. What is your biggest dream? I have two. Can I share my work dream and my personal dream? Yes, please. <gasps> okay. My work dream for traveling stories is to grow just giant, right? So that we have story tents in every community across the United States and eventually maybe the world and to really put ourselves out of business. So I would love it if every kid in in the United States was reading and fell in love with reading and didn't need us anymore. And for it just to be like, oh, traveling stories. Yeah, I know them. Or like, I take my kids there. Um, No matter where you're at, you know, Michigan, San Diego, New York. And then my personal dream is um, (laughs) as a kid, one of my favorite books was Joe's Boys by Louisa May Alcott. And I don't know if it was that book or just a multiple you know, tons of different things, but I really, really, really want to either be a foster parent or to adopt. And I just like, oh, my heart breaks when I think about all the kids who don't have families and homes, you know, and just thinking about the situation that so many kids are in and it's not their fault, you know, they're just inheriting the situation that they had no control over. And I just, I don't know, I was loved so much. You know, my parents loved me so much. They had such a great childhood and And it makes me really sad to think that so many kids don't. And so my dream is be in a position where I can either foster kids or adopt kids and actually give them a good life. So 
I might need to make a little more money first, but um, <laughs> but that's it. my dream. I'm really happy with what Traveling Stories is doing. But if I, you know, if I would were to die, you know, like next year or five years from now, and I never and I never pursued this dream of either foster or adoption, I think I that would be my biggest regret. Yeah. Oh, I love this. So we'll see. <laughs> Emily, I have loved having this conversation with you. Oh, and me too. Learning more about you and traveling stories. So where can everyone find you and learn more Ooh, and yes. get involved? Um, travelingstories.org. So feel free to come there and check us out. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Traveling Stories as well. If you search, I think you'll be able to find us. And if you're in San Diego, like definitely consider volunteering. It's super rewarding getting to read with kids. Um, and if you're not in San Diego, uh, one thing I'm really proud of is how far money goes in our program. So $5 provides our story tent program for a whole month for one kid. Wow. Five, that's like, that's ridiculous, wow. I think. You know, that's like my honey latte. Yeah. And so one of the things that we have on our website and that, that we have, a, we have this little program called Reading Warriors. Um, and these are people who give $5 or more every month. Um, and it's kind of like sponsoring a kid, you know, like, so you know that your five bucks is going to help this child have one-on-one -on -one reading support every week for that month. Um, so if there's anyone out there who's like, hey, I can spare five bucks and I'd love to help a kid um, and maybe you can't volunteer in person, please consider it. You know, I started at five bucks and didn't miss it and was able to increase it, you know, every year a little bit. And I feel really good when I get the little notification that says like, hey, your donation to Traveling Stories went through. And, you know, like, yeah, I get to spend time and help kids, but it also feels really good to know that a little bit of money every month is helping these kids. and. And not only does it pay for the program, but it kind of communicates to them, hey, I believe in you and I believe in you enough to put some of my money on you. So we'd love to hear from you if you have questions or want to figure out a way to get involved or you want to maybe try to start a story tent in your neighborhood. We've got some tools that we can that we can provide. Yes.